We'd like to dismiss at this time the children. You may be seated. We'd like to dismiss the children tonight to, uh, to Children's Church. Donna, if you're ready to take them down, any of the kiddos that would like to go down with Miss Donna, uh, she will lead you down tonight. So just know that's where uh, you're certainly welcome to worship with your parents. But if you'd like to go downstairs uh, and worship together as, as the children do, Feel free to have them go. For the rest of you, I invite you to turn to First Timothy tonight. Uh, I am going to get back uh, into the series that we've been doing. Uh, I promised you that I wasn't intentionally trying to avoid uh, this topic tonight that we're going to be looking at. The title of the message is A Woman's Role in the Church. Uh, men, don't tune me out because this has a lot to do with you as well. So I'm not preaching at or to ladies specifically and just tonight. Uh, but it is something that the Bible instructs us on. And so uh, I'm excited to share this message with you from 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 8. I'll allow you to see, stay seated tonight. And uh, we will read together beginning at verse 8 of chapter 2. Paul writes to Timothy there, he says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, whether she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And the church said... Let's pray together. Father, we ask you now to bless your word. Father, that it would not return void, but that the Holy Spirit would apply it to our hearts and lives, uh, that we would examine ourselves truly to see if we're walking and living in the faith, and that, God, uh, you would give the increase tonight, and we will promise to give you all glory, honor, and praise for everything that happens tonight and what we've already experienced. It's in the mighty and precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, thank you. You may be seated. You know, someone said one time that being a pastor is similar to being a newscaster or a meteorologist. Uh, we are called to deliver a message, and sometimes that message is not always received uh, happily. And so, you know, I was surprised to find out just how many death threats uh, newscasters and meteorologists receive. Imagine that. People get that worked up uh, over the news, and it's just the messenger uh, that's delivering it, but people take it seriously, uh, and sometimes they don't like that message, and that's true uh, of the Scriptures as well. So again, I, I pray that uh, you are humble in spirit tonight to receive not my message, because I probably would have written something different uh, or be to be up to me, but this is the Word of God, and I pray that you will receive it uh, and examine it and search it for yourself as the Spirit applies it to you. Um, so we read a text tonight that has been uh, one of great controversy, one that has not always been universally accepted, uh, one that has been changed over the years to be more culturally and politically correct. And so we've got to try to get back to who was Paul addressing? What situation was he addressing? Uh, and hopefully from there we can see how that applies to us still today. And so as we look at the text, let's take it all the way back to the time, the 64, 65 A.D. time period, somewhere in that window, uh, when Paul wrote this. And think about a little bit about the culture 
of that time. Certainly he's writing to a lot of Jewish converts. He's writing to some Gentile converts. He's writing to the Jewish people who have a background, uh, obviously, in Judaism uh, as Hebrews. He's writing to people that have experienced a lot of Greek philosophy and a lot of Greek learning along that time. The the language uh, of that time and the writings where a lot of it was in Greek and Aramaic. Uh, And then also you have certainly Roman influence with all the culture there. So a lot of diversity uh, is taking place in the culture. But one of the things that was universally true amongst Hebrews, Greeks, and Romans was their view of women as being lesser than a man. Uh, that they viewed women more as possessions than people. And uh, so Christianity, and even Judaism to some respects, is revolutionary uh, in the cultural time and period that Paul is writing as far as the way that they treat and relate women, giving them dignity and honor and respect because that certainly wasn't the case uh, in the culture and in the learning of the people of that day. Uh, again, they were viewed more as possessions. They were grouped in with children and slaves who were also seen uh, as less than men and just mere objects. And so that is kind of the idea uh, of women. They were not permitted to learn in the synagogue and in the sanctuary uh, uh, they were not to even really be taught the things of the law. They were uh, a waste of time, so to speak, to try to uh, impart those things to them. They actually didn't even have part in the synagogue service. Uh, at best, they were given a place where they could observe, uh, but that was their uh, limitation. That was as far as they could go when it came to being in the synagogue. Uh, a strict rabbi, a teacher uh, of Jewish law and customs would not even address a woman, including his mother, sister, or daughter in the street. Uh, He would not even acknowledge them if he was out in public. And women who were out and their husbands were expected to walk at least six feet behind their husband when they were out in public. So you can see, uh, you know, kind of the idea, and if a woman were to go out in public and uncover her face or head, she would be immediately considered a harlot. And so when we understand some of those things, you can see why Jesus was treated the way he was when he spoke to women, why that shocked people so much. Here's a rabbi talking to women, right? Here are women coming up and uncovering their head and wiping his feet uh, with their tears and their hair. All of those things were blasphemous to the culture and times, right? And so when we understand that, we see how radical these things are, and and, and we understand why this causes such an uproar when Jesus is going around talking to women and actually as women following with him and serving alongside of him. It's revolutionary to the time and culture. And Greek and Roman idea was not much different. Uh, Certainly the Greeks... And the Romans would allow ladies to be a part of temple worship in the sense that uh, there were temples set up to uh, Diana and uh, Aphrodite who were both Greek gods and the women's role there were basically to be prostitutes. Uh, because in, in this temple worship, uh, that was part of the experience of worship. And so you can see again that their role was drastically different uh, from what we would see or expect uh, today, certainly. So that's the culture that we're coming out of. And I think that's so important for us to understand tonight uh, when we read the Scriptures to know 
exactly what Paul was dealing with in his time uh, and in the churches that he's writing to. And so with that being said, we know the culture. What about the context? Again, we've been going through 1 Timothy. Timothy is a pastor, right? An elder in the church at Ephesus. And so all of these epistles are written to specific churches, but are read throughout the region. So uh, when he writes to churches, um, they are writing to these, these pastors, and these messages are passed throughout the regions of Galatia uh, and Philippi and Corinth, and, and these, these messages apply universally uh, and are spread out. And so Paul's writing um, to Timothy. He's giving him instruction in this epistle. What is he giving him instruction on? how to govern, rule, and oversee, shepherd a church. He's instructing him on the rule, order, and practice of what a New Testament church ought to look like and how a pastor ought to oversee that. That's exactly the purpose of this. So the context, the uh, culture, and I want you to see, I want you to see this um, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 14 and 15, Paul kind of right there gives us a summary of what the letter is all about. He says in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay or if I am delayed, you may know how, you, how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God a pillar and buttress of the truth. So there you have it. He's writing to instruct you on how to behave, how to rule and reign and govern and oversee the church. So Paul himself tells us why he's writing to Timothy. So the question then arises, if that was the culture and that is the context, is there a consistency in that for us today? Because one of the arguments against this is that it was contextual and cultural and it is not applicable now. And that, that is a theory that has come up in the last 50 years. So if we take that back, and, it, and it's an American idea, imagine that. So 50 years ago in the 60s in America, what was going on? Mark, you, you hinted on it, right? You are a veteran of what war? And when you came back from that war, it was a different country than when you left, was it not? In a lot of ways, right? Uh, the, the peace and love movement that took over the feminist movement that arose in those times, uh, not just was something that was taking place in the world, unfortunately it found its way into the church. Uh, and a lot of liberal theology was a result of that. And this is one of those areas where it crept into some churches uh, and changed or attempted to change uh, what Paul was saying to make it more politically correct for our times. Uh, and so it's, it's very applicable to us right now, especially because of the recent controversy with the entire Beth Moore, John MacArthur situation. Don't know how many of you have followed that or if you're even aware of who those folks are. Beth Moore is obviously a very popular ladies uh, teacher and Bible conference speaker for the Southern Baptist Convention. Some of our ladies have probably done Bible studies uh, by her. John MacArthur is a pastor of 50 years in California, uh, a very solid expositor uh, and someone that I greatly respect, although I differ in some areas with his theology. 
theology. Uh, he is certainly a solid, proven pastor. Uh, and recently he was at a conference, and, and even the best of men at times don't always make wise decisions uh, and say things that they probably wish they could go back and retract. And so he was at a conference, and unwisely, in my opinion, they decided to play a little bit of a, of a game. And so the host would say a word or a name, and John MacArthur was to give a one-word response to whatever this host said. And it was almost kind of like a setup, uh, but he took the bait. And so the host says, Beth Moore. And John MacArthur's response was, go home. Now, in the moment, he didn't have a chance to explain. He was just asked to give a brief one, in that case, two-word response. But, of course, it was said in public, put on social media, and without any further explanation uh, has been exploding now throughout uh, social media circles as him being bigoted uh, and misogynistic and all these things that if you go back and read any of his teaching and preaching throughout the last 50 years, you'll see is not true. Uh, but nonetheless, it was probably not a wise decision to answer that question the way that he did or to answer it at all uh, in that type of, of scenario. So this is a subject that's on the forefront again. It's something that comes up. Should women, in fact, go home? Should they occupy a role in the church? Specifically, should they occupy a place behind the pulpit as a pastor? Those are questions that are relevant today. Those are questions that need to be asked and answered, right? And again, you will not get a universal uh, approval or acceptance on that uh, on, on the answer that you come up with, because obviously we know many churches have female pastors, uh, so they would disagree with the position that I am going to try to teach tonight, that women are not to be pastors of the church. Uh, and so we'll look at that, and I will again try to show you scripturally uh, what I believe Paul is saying, and leave it ultimately to you to examine and allow God to examine your heart. I only ask that you come into this not with emotions leading. I ask you to let the Holy Spirit lead. And uh, set aside your feelings and your emotions for a moment uh, and truly let God form your opinion uh, as to what he says is right. So uh, let, me, let me preface this message with this. Without question, universally to be believed, men and women are completely equal in the, in the eyes of God. There is no inequality between man and woman in the eyes of God. Uh, Genesis 1.27 says that God created male and female in the image of God. There's no difference. I mean, obviously there are differences, but not in the eyes of God as far as their equality, their worth, their value. Women are not beneath men. Men are not above women at all. Amen. You can say amen. It's okay. That's, that's not heretical, church, right? That, that's, that's biblical. Women have worth and value equal to men in the eyes of God. They're not secondhand citizens in the kingdom of God. And so we need to set that record straight. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ. You're all one in Christ. You're all equal. You are all, uh, you are all the same. You're saved by the same blood of Jesus. You're saved by the same gospel. Uh, and your value and worth is equal in Him. But this is where the difference comes in. While we are equal in value, there is a difference in the role of male and female, not just within the church, but within the home 
And I, attempt, I will attempt to show you tonight within the creative order. Right? So from the very beginning, God's plan was to create male and female equal in value, yet differing in roles. And that is where so much confusion comes up. And that is where sometimes the flesh gets involved and takes things, as we often do, to extremes and makes it difficult to where people are hurt in church, hurt in the homes, and and hurt overall uh, in the world. And so uh, we would call this view that women and men are equal in value, yet differing in their role and function as being complementarian. That's a big fancy word that just means what exactly I said. Equal in value, differing in roles. Churches that say there is no difference in the role that women can serve in every uh, capacity that a man can, from pastor to deacon to elder, uh, they would be called egalitarian. So if you ever have seen a church where there are men and female, male and female pastors, deacons, and everything on down, they would not be complementarian. They would be egalitarian, meaning everyone has the same role. Uh, Again, I don't hold to that position. I hold to the one that women are equal in value and differ in their roles. And so I want you to see that in the home, that there is absolutely in God's Word a difference between the role of husband and wife, male and female, in the home. In Ephesians 5.23, Paul says this, The husband is the head of the wife. Number one of many politically uncorrect things you're going to hear tonight. From the Word of God. I didn't write this. Again, I'm going back to the newscaster illustration. I didn't write this. I probably would have wrote something a lot more politically correct to make it easy on myself. Right? (laughs) But this is from God. Okay? This is His Word. If we believe this book is inspired by Him, this is His Word. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So we're seeing a role and an order of things, right? His body and is himself its Savior. So in other places, he talks about the children being submissive to the husband and wife in in the role of the family. So we see Christ, the husband, the wife, the children. Differing in roles, but we're not grouping them in value. We're not. The husband, the wife, the children equally valuable in the eyes of God, but obviously differing in their roles and duties within the church, within the home, and within the creative order. And so now that we hopefully kind of see that foundation, let's look at this text a little bit deeper tonight. Let's look at verse 9 and 10. He says there, he says, Likewise, the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. All that that he just said basically is just to ask one question. Ladies, what are you attempting to use to draw attention to yourself? That's really what he's saying, right? Uh, if, again, if we go back culturally especially with the Greeks, for a lot of the ladies, it was a big deal to braid up their hair. Um, The beehive thing that the ladies, when was that when the ladies had the beehive stuff going on? Was that the 70s? 
the 70s, they'd have put you to shame because they would have had all this stuff going on uh, and all this fancy braidings and jewelry. Matter of fact, you can Google I was going to try to get a slide to put up there if I couldn't find a good one. But there was even coins. Uh, uh, I think they were Roman coins or Greek coins. I forget if Roman, I believe, uh, that were minted with these women with this ornate hairstyles and stuff. So it was very culturally relevant. And so, you know, to draw attention to themselves. And again, that was the culture. And Paul starts to see it creeping into the church. And he says, ladies, don't do these things to draw attention to yourselves. Because the purpose of gathering is not to get eyes on us. It's to get eyes off of us. Right? We don't want the eyes on us. We want the eyes on Him. Right? And so these ladies come in to the church all elaborately decked out, dressed immodestly, and there's no focus on Christ. The, the eyes are turning. The, the talk is about, did you see so-and-so come in? Right? And it was a distraction. And it was a temptation in the house of God. And so, man, again, does that apply for today? Absolutely. It amazes me, uh, especially not just the young generation, my generation, and even older than my generation, to see women so desperate and so starving for attention. Uh, you know, it wasn't just ten years ago. Every year they add new words to the English language, right? Did you know that? There's, I forget how many words added to the English language. Some are archaic and taken out, and new ones are added. And it was just, I think, ten years ago or less, we had to add a word, selfie, right? Because so many people were enamored of taking pictures of themselves. Uh, and if that wasn't bad enough, you have to make a goofy face when you take the picture, too. And then you got tired of taking pictures of yourself because they didn't look so good, so now you have to have 4,000 different kinds of filters to make yourself look like something else, right? And so, I mean, it never ends. But the, behind all that, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with taking a picture of yourself, but, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I see so much of this desperation uh, and it's not just women, but a lot of it is, uh, you know, to try to draw attention to themselves. Uh, that there is a stigma that it's not, it's not good to be single, and it's, it's not all right to be alone, and you have to have uh, at all times a partner, and you have to have somebody to complete you. And, you know, the uh, Jerry Maguire line, you complete me, right? No, it's okay to be single. It's okay to go through that season. Uh, it's better to be single and be in God's will than being with the wrong person uh, and find out later that you made a big mistake, right. right? And so, I mean, why is that? Why is that in our world today? I think there's a lot of reasons, and this is a whole other sermon. Uh, more, more households than ever are, are, are without fathers now. And so boys and girls are growing up without a male figure in their home. And so they're going to find, uh, you know, a way to get male attention as they get older because they never had it when they were growing up. And they use all kinds of wrong means to get that attention. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think another problem is, and I'm going to be honest with you, the immaturity level of men today is at an all-time high, like never before. Right? I mean, I'm telling you. And, I mean, I've, I've preached on this before, but it's true. Guys, at some point, you got to grow up. you got to grow up, right? Uh, video games are fine when you're a teenager, and video games are fine when you're an adult. 
But, you know, if that's, if that's your, your profession, is to play video games for 15 hours a day in your mom's basement and you're 45 years old, there's a problem. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you there's a problem. Uh, I mean, sometimes, sometimes I'm just blunt. I apologize, but I don't apologize because it's the truth. Uh, you know, we have failed in a lot of ways as men, as husbands, as leaders, uh, biblically. Uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm not preaching to the world because I don't expect them to do anything different than be like the world. I'm preaching to the church tonight. You know, we have got to, we have got to be better as husbands, as fathers, as leaders in our homes, in our churches, in our jobs, and in our world. And, and that's a big issue. And then the worldly influence is pulling at these ladies. So I, I understand uh, why all these things come up. But Paul says, you know, why? Why are, are you trying to get focus on yourself? Um, because at the end of the day, he says, uh, at the end of verse 9, he says that uh, we should instead do what is proper, verse 10, I'm sorry, what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Our, 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 our good works should spring from our godly life, uh, from our submissive life. And we know where all this started, don't we? Where, where did all this mess begin? All the way back at the beginning of the book. All the way back at the beginning of the book. And I won't spend time taking you back there, but I will reference it, right? We know the story. Adam and Eve sin. Here comes God. He pronounces curses on the serpent, on the man, and on the women, doesn't he? And what does he say? Just to, I'm, I am going to read it real quick, just to refresh your mind. Genesis 3.16. He says this. Sorry, Chad, I know I didn't give you this one. I'll just read it. He says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Having baby hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm not, it hurts. Ladies, we know. I sympathize with you. Um, that's part of the curse. In pain you shall bring forth children. And listen to the next part. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, what in the world was the writer of Genesis saying there about the woman's desire would be for your husband? Well, I think that, I think that we can learn, and when we let Scripture interpret Scripture, um, in the very next chapter of the story of Cain and Abel, if you look at chapter 4 of Genesis verse 6 and 7, look at what it says there. He says, the Lord said to Cain, so, so Cain is angry because God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's. And so he, he says in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face or your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Listen to what he says. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and it's what? They might have that open, it's what? It's desire. See that? Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The same Hebrew word that he said to Eve, when your desire will be for your husband. It is a reversal of the role that a woman is to have in the creative order. He says that, that sin is like a crouching lion. It's ready to pounce. It's at the door, Right? And, and its desire is to overtake you. And the woman's desire is to overtake the authority of the man. We see that today with the feminist movement. The women's role and the women's liberation movement has turned everything upside down. It has. 
And men sometimes fall into one of two extremes by either being so passive that they lay down and let the women do everything and don't try to be complimentary in the home or in the church. They just say, well, you, whatever you say, honey, do it all. Or they become dominant and, and dictators and abusive towards their wife. And they treat them, going back to the culture, like an object. And both are unbiblical. So the curse has flipped everything upside down. Sin has caused everything to get backwards. And we see it in Paul's time, and we see it throughout history, even into today. And so he's telling them, don't dress up, don't do these things to be noticed. Let your godly, humble, submissive life be evidence of the work of Christ in you. That will bring attention to Him, which is what we're out to do. Just like Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they can see your good works, but glorify the Father. They see what you're doing, but the focus is not on you, it's on Him. And that's what He challenges the ladies in the church to do. Live lives that bring glory to God, not attention to yourself. That's all he's saying in those verses. And then we get into 11 through 15, which is the real uh, troublesome verses for a lot of people. And I won't read those again. We just did a few minutes ago. Uh, But again, I will say this. There's no place, no room, no teaching, no acceptance of sexism or misogyny in the church of the living God. should never happen. Because women, again, are equal in value. And there have been men that have used the Bible to manipulate and dominate women, uh, to abuse women, uh, and to take advantage of women. And they should be disciplined in the church until they repent to the point of excommunication from such church and from any position that they are in. No questions asked. It's unacceptable. And, and there's no excuse for it. Uh, and so that is, that is without question. But I want you to see real quick, Um, in verse 12. Because again, we're looking at the role of the woman in the church because Paul wrote to Timothy on how to instruct the church to be led. Right? Amen? Amen? I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise, excuse me, or to exercise authority over the man. That word teach is used over 150 times in the New Testament. And almost exclusively, it references to the teaching specifically of Scripture. Okay? That's important for us to understand. Almost every single time, with just a few exceptions, it is used for the teaching specifically and expounding of the Word of God. And so Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Let me give you a few times where that... That word teaches used in the scripture and other places. Second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is breathed out or inspired by God and is profitable for teaching or reproof. Uh, for teaching for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. Second Timothy four two. He's speaking to Timothy, who is a pastor. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Over and over, as I said, that word is used in the teaching, expounding, and application specifically of 
the scriptures, and Paul says that that's not a role of the women when it comes to preaching in a worship setting, having authority over men. Not acceptable in the church of God. Say, I'm not convinced, Pastor. There is not a place in the scriptures where you can show me the title of shepherd, pastor, or elder is bestowed on a woman. Women have done many wonderful things, not just in Scripture. We can talk about we can talk about Deborah in the book of Judges, or we can talk about Esther, or we can talk about Rahab, or we can talk about Mary, we can talk about the ladies being the ones at the tomb and the first ones to see Jesus. Absolutely, women have a vital and important role throughout the history of the Scriptures and the church, and to this day still do. Valuable, valuable roles in the church, but specific roles that they can do and can't do. And pastoring is not one. It's not one. If we go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, which we'll be on hopefully in a week or two, the qualifications of a bishop, elder, pastor, shepherd, overseer, if you were here a few weeks ago for Bible study, you know that there's five English words that are all interchangeable. They all mean the same thing. Three Greek words, five English words, they all mean the same thing. It's a pastor, a shepherd, an overseer, a bishop, all the same thing. Okay? Here's the qualification, specifically 1 Timothy 3.2. Therefore, an overseer, a bishop, whatever translation you have, same, same idea, same concept. An overseer must be above reproach. The husband, the husband, how many women in here tonight are husbands? None? That's surprising. The husband of one wife. We get caught up on the one wife thing, and I understand why. But it's specific. Male husband should be the pastor of one wife. A one-woman man is what that literally means. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. There's that word again. Teach what? The Word of God, preach and expound the Word of God. Then go to verse 4. He must manage, rule, lead, whatever words you want to put there, his own household well. Now, a little while ago, I read to you from Ephesians. Who is the head of the house? Who is supposed to rule the house well? Who's supposed to be the pastor? The one that rules his house well. Who is that? A man. Do you see the issues you run into when you take the Scriptures for what they say? Again, I know it's not politically correct. I know it's not always received well. It's, it's not my, I'm not the author. I'm not the author. I'm giving you what is written in the book. Lead his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Why? Why does Paul say this? He gives us the answer. Verse 13 and 14. Adam was fir- formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Wow, some people are like, man, I've I've always blamed Adam for everything, right? The Scriptures say, you know, sin came uh, through one man and they blamed Adam. I thought I got off the women, got off the hook on that. And now I'm seeing this. What in the world is going on? You know, uh, there's differing opinions why God made the man first. If you ask a man, why did God make males first? He would say that God made the male first 
so that there wouldn't be anyone there to critique him and criticize him when he made, tried to make the man. If they made a woman first, somebody would have been there and told him how to do it, right? If you ask a woman why uh, the man was made first, she said, well, they would answer that God had to make a rough draft before he had to get the final copy, right? And so you're going to get a difference of opinion on why God made the man first. But regardless, we know that he did, and then the Scriptures tell us that the woman was the one that was deceived, and she was, right? But the seed, the lineage of humanity always comes through the male descendancy. And so we were all descendants of Adam. Uh, literally, we were in his loins, the Bible talks about, uh, and that is why through his fall, all of humanity was corrupted. But nonetheless, it was the woman that was deceived first. And she went to her husband, and because he did not stand up and be the leader, the role was reversed. The enemy tempts. The woman was deceived. The man didn't lead. He said, sure, honey, I'll take a bite of that, knowing that he shouldn't have, knowing that he should have stood up. And he fell into transgression along with her and corrupted all of humanity. But nonetheless, the Scriptures tell us that it was the woman that was deceived. And so we go back to creation. We go back to that order. God made the man first to be the leader. And he didn't lead well. And a mess resulted from it. And a mess still results from it. Um, let me give you a couple of quotes as we wrap up. John Stott, a popular preacher from a few decades ago, he said, All attempts to get rid of Paul's teaching on headships, on the headship, on grounds that it is mistaken, confusing, culture-bound, or culture-specific, must be pronounced unsuccessful. It remains stubbornly there. It is rooted in divine revelation, not human opinion, and in divine creation, not human culture. In essence, therefore, it must be preserved as having permanent universal authority. Let me give you another one from a guy named Philip Jensen. He said, Eve's sin involved overturning the order of creation and teaching her husband. She taught her husband, this is what you should do, eat this fruit. Similarly, Adam's sin came from listening to his wife in the sense of heeding and following her instructions rather than God's. He was taught by her, thereby putting himself under her authority and reversing God's order of creation. Do you see the issue that resulted and the issues that still result from this. So let me, let me wrap up with this thought. In 1 Corinthians 11, 8, 9, it says, The man was not made from the woman, but woman from the man. Neither was man created for the woman, but woman for man. What does that mean? I think William Hendrickson, another pastor from years ago, puts it well. He said, In sovereign wisdom, God made Adam first, then Eve. He made Eve for the sake of Adam. Adam needed a helper. And he made a helper from his rib. Not under him, but to stand by his side and help him. He made Adam to lead and Eve to follow. Hence, it would not be right to, reserve, to reverse this order in connection with worship in the church. Why would God encourage a woman to do things contrary to her created nature? Eve's fall occurred when she ignored her divinely ordained position. Instead of following, she chose to lead. Instead of remaining submissive to God, she wanted to be like God. And as a result, she led and Adam followed. She led in the way of sin when she should have followed in the path of righteousness. What a wonderful summary of what happened and continues to happen when we ignore 
the Scripture's teaching. Again, women have valuable roles in the church. Women teach women. Women lead. Beth Moore does a fantastic job of leading and teaching women in Bible studies. I'm not arguing that. But Beth Moore, Priscilla Shire, you name whoever you want to name of any denomination, should not be in the pulpit in a worship service preaching and teaching the Word of God to a mixed congregation. It's just not biblical, and I don't think you can prove it biblically according to the qualifications and the commands of Scripture. And like I said, that's tough in our culturally, politically correct world, but I believe it's biblical. So I'm going to give you a story and we'll close. It goes like this. When the California gold fever broke out, a man went there and he left his wife in New England with his boy. As soon as he got on and was successful, he was to send for them. It was a long time before he succeeded, but at last he got enough money to send for them. The wife's heart leapt for joy. She took her boy to New York and got upon a Pacific Railroad and went to San Francisco. They had not been long before they heard fire, fire ringing out, and rapidly they got towards the door. Uh, there was a powder magazine on board, and the captain knew that the fire was going to reach that powder and explode, and the woman and child and anyone else on board would perish. And as they got towards the door, there was not enough time to get them out, and so there was one window that, that he could reach out and could only get one out, and she said, take, take my son, take him. And finally, she begged to the point where they would take him, and she hugged the child, it says, one last time, and gave him out the window and said, if you live to see your father, tell him that I died in your place. Why do I share that story tonight? Because the love of that mother towards her father show, towards her son rather sh shows shows the importance and the value of women throughout life. I thank God for a praying mom and a praying grandma and, and, and so many wonderful women in this church and in my life that have influenced me and helped me. And I don't ever want you to leave after a message like this tonight and think the pastor thinks lesser of women because I hope you understand that's not my position or the Bible's. You're valuable and you're loved and you're accepted and men, you are too. But men, it's time for us to stand up and step up in our roles and to love our wives as Christ loved the church and to lead well and to be an example to our children. And ladies, it's okay to be led because, men, if, if you're a godly leader, they'll want to follow you. Amen. You don't have to force them. They'll want to follow. But you've got to be that leader. And ladies, you've got to be willing to uh, help, your, help your husband, help, help, that, help those men in your life. Uh, and like I said, that story of the wife, the mother, handing out that child to say that, uh, tell your father I, I died in your place. I'm thankful that uh, 2,000 years ago someone died in my place. He died in, in your place. And his name was Jesus. He was the sinless Son of God. And tonight, perhaps you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior. He invites you to come. He invites you to turn from your sin and trust him. And so, most importantly, beyond anything we've taught about and talked tonight, the question is, do you know Jesus? If you don't, would you come tonight as we give an invitation to receive him? And men, ladies alike, if this message tonight has challenged you to look at your role in the home, in the church, in life, 
then I pray that you will come pray together and ask God to strengthen you. It's never too late. I don't care if you've been married 65, 70 years. It's never too late to pick up your cross and follow Him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You tonight for the truth of Your Word, as difficult as sometimes it is. Lord, help us to live by it, to honor it, to walk in it, and know that Your blessings upon it when we do so. Father, have Your way now in this invitation. Uh, continue to lead us as a church. Help us to always study and search the Scriptures for answers and never rest in our own understanding but in Your truth. We love You and we thank You for all You mean to us in Jesus' name. Amen.